You're listening to the Can Dare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Can Dare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And this being the first episode of the new year, 2018, happy new year to everybody out there, by the way. Uh, we decided to get you a uh, kind of a, a hot ticket guest, I guess we would say. I would say so. I, I'd yeah. almost go so far as to say royalty. Oh, absolutely. Mm, yeah. I've been wanting to get someone on the show affiliated with Star Wars. And though we have had like Jim Cummings who and uh, Phil Lamar actually who both did voices in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. We didn't have anyone in those those main movies. And boy did we get we got we got a good one. Original. We got a good one. We are joined by puppeteer and actor Mike Quinn today who uh, is best known for his work on The Muppets. He did Fraggle Rock, his work on Dark Crystal. Uh, one thing uh, we didn't cover in the interview when we talked with him, he worked for uh, ILM doing uh, like wow. CG work too like he worked on Toy Story 2 he put the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park 3 and he also uh, did some of the CG work in Attack of the Clones so this guy has been all through Star Wars because yeah. he's also in Return of the Jedi yeah Go ahead and put him on the growing list of people we talk to who make everyone else look bad. <laughs> just these super talented, <laughs> prolific, driven people. He's just been in so many things uh, from our childhood, so many just inf- influential things uh, throughout pop culture. I mean, the yeah. Muppets, Star Wars, I mean, those two things in themselves His are... fingerprints are everywhere. Oh, man, so awesome. But yeah, uh, he he's probably best known in the Star Wars universe for uh, portraying Nine Numb. Uh, the character who sits co-pilot with uh, Lando Calrissian in Return of the Jedi, but he also reprised the character in uh, The Force Awakens and in The Last Jedi. So we talk with him about his uh, time at the Muppets. We talk with him about his uh, time on Star Wars. Uh, we ask him a little bit about The Last Jedi, Yoda in particular. I was mm-hmm. I was glad to get an answer yeah. to that question. That was uh, awesome to hear. But it was just an all-around great interview. So uh, before we get to that really quick, Ladies and gentlemen, as always, check us out on Twitter at CandairPod and Instagram at Canned underscore Air. We've got merchandise available at Society6.com forward slash CandairPod. And don't forget to stop by our website to see our contacts page if you want to be on the show and our special guest page where we've got some of the most interesting people we've had the pleasure of talking to. And don't forget to uh, check out our Patreon page, uh, Patreon.com forward slash CandairPod and uh, throw some support our way. We've got some uh, exclusive content on there for people who decide to back us. Uh, get us a little bit closer to uh, achieving bigger and better things with Canned Air, making it more than just a podcast, more than just a few videos on YouTube. We want to make it an entertainment hub, uh, but we can only do that with some support. So uh, head over there for a few bucks a month. You can really help make our day. And get something in return, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that's going to do it for right now. So without any further ado, let's just cut over to our interview with the amazingly talented Mike Quinn. Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. We are huge fans, and it's just an honor to have you on the show, sir. Oh, thank you so much. It's good too. Yeah, thank you for having me. So how are you? How was your holiday season? We're just, what, two days off the new year? Did you have a crazy New Year's <laughs> Eve? <laughs> it was very quiet. I really didn't... I, something happened this year, and I sort of missed the holiday entirely. Uh, like, uh, the very end of... Uh, uh, December, I was in Japan with uh, uh, three other uh, Star Wars actors, 
and uh, we were doing a little short signing. Um, but that sort of took about a week out of my time on my own business here. I pretty well just kind of um, spent spent the day trying to catch up on my own business here in my studio and office. And so I didn't really we didn't really do anything this much. I almost kind of just entirely missed the holiday, uh, and we just did a little quiet thing uh, with friends New Year's New Year's Eve, uh, and that was. It really, so, but I'll make up for it next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I mean, yeah. the one you described sounds perfect to me. Those are my favorite: <laughs> the quiet at home, not out yeah. with it was, people. Yeah, it was good, but for a couple of days off now, I think so. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, you know the joys of being self-employed. <laughs> yeah, we we dream of it daily. <laughs> that we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just start uh, back at your beginning. Uh, not only with how you uh, got into puppetry to begin with, but uh, the story I find most fascinating: how you got into working with the Muppets. It's really a uh, lesson in persistence. I think. Uh, Wonder if you might share that with our listeners. Yeah, it's an odd thing, really. It really shouldn't have been able to happen you know you you sort of read about these things or see movies about them but um it, it, it's it, there's not really any logic to it really it's like how how did that actually happen it's such um, a you cool know, was, story though i love it's it. so odd i mean you know i was just from a normal normal working class family uh, my sister was a business uh is older than me so even as a kid she was doing um uh, singing and played the piano and some acting on stage and stuff so so she was doing a little bit of, of entertainment stuff. So I was sort of around that, and I was playing around about eight or nine years old with uh, a glove puppet show that I had and, and a magic act. But that was another few traditions as well. Um, but I don't think I was really very either. Uh, you know, I was just sort of left to my own devices and, and uh, trying things out. And I was young, you know. I, was, I wasn't bored or tutored in any way. So, so uh, you know, I, I didn't get too far, but I was certainly interested in – in those uh, those types of entertainment, but um, otherwise pretty normal, uh, sort of just outside North London, um, not much going on. Uh, as far as the, the schools concerned, I was pretty well a lost cause. <laughs> so, uh, they they pretty did me in the last couple of years and say, "Yeah, it's Quinn. Just leave him alone, and he'll leave eventually." You know, they weren't that that bothered. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty sad. Uh, you know, oh, he he can get a job sweeping the roads or something like that. You know, uh, they. It's funny because um, in, in in the UK, the last couple of years, you get to sort of choose more of your uh, classes that you want to take. You know, that are more relevant to your career. So of course, I wanted to go more and take art classes, as they were called then. I don't know what they call them now. And also, um, drama was another class. And uh, I had too many. I guess I was out of balance creative versus academic classes that I'd chosen and the actual headmaster of the school he said well I'm not going to let you take drama because you're not going to become an actor are you as a statement and I wasn't I couldn't take drama uh wow. years later uh, of course you know a couple of years on after I'd got been working with Muppets and Star Wars and everything I revisited the school and uh they had some uh, I think talent thing or where people had, had had moved on and had careers and come back to the school and put on a show and stuff. So I, I made damn sure back and and uh, went up to him and said, "Look, here I am acting." So I <laughs> I, I think he ate his words, but uh, it just goes to show that sometimes uh, you know those those who are supposed to know better than you often don't, uh, you know, and they they, mm -hmm. they 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 want you to that perhaps you 
shouldn't be. So what? So anyway, well, going back to your question, what happened was, um, you know, I was into puppets and, and, and all that kind of thing, but when Muppet Show came along in 1976, it hit really big in England uh, sooner than it did in the States, so in the first season. And so I kind of really became aware of Muppets a little bit from a few Sesame things in the UK, but we probably haven't had as much as you hate. So, so the Muppet Show was this big new thing, and um, I was really fascinated with just both how they were constructed as well as how they were performed. Sure. So um, I was just like a, a sponge trying to to uh, absorb everything and, and, and experiment. I'd, I'd be uh, trying to puppeteer in front of the mirror in that style. I'd uh, spend my pocket money buying materials, foam and fur and fabrics, trying to put things together. And in fact, uh, I was the first boy in, in school to actually take sewing classes, <laughs> and probably <laughs> the last two. And they were fighting us on that stuff. They were like, no, we can't have just one boy. You know, he's supposed to take woodwork and metalwork and all those things. And uh, when, when asked why not, they said, well, we haven't, I haven't taught a boy before. So, uh, but anyway, I uh, took sewing and made puppets on school time. I mean, what could be better, right? Well, they <laughs> act like it's beyond I'm... a boy to be able to yeah, learn really. sewing. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. So, <laughs> 1970s, of course. Um, anyway, yeah, things were a bit different then. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I did, took sewing and, and did well in class there. And uh, some of the puppets that I'd made on at home and, and also during school time, when I finally to visit the Muppet Show, I would take these puppets along with me and people like Jim would put them on, perform them, you know, so they became familiar with me. So what happened was is, well, actually, I first met the, the main Muppet performers in 1977. They were, they hadn't quite started. I think they were over to, to begin film, uh, begin taping the second season of the Muppet Show. Um, and I intercepted them at a radio station that, where they were being interviewed uh, in London once a day. So that was my first meeting of them. <laughs> so I think I was 13. <laughs> and uh, and so, so um, in, the, in 1980, it was the final year, final, well, four, five, six months of my school. Um, I already knew I was going to be a puppeteer. I wanted to be a puppeteer. I wanted to make puppets. Um, and by some miraculous fairy tale twist of fate, um, you know, I found out the Muppet Show was made literally about a 30-minute bus ride from where I lived. I always thought that, that in the States, so you know. Awesome. know. It's like really weird, you know, some cosmic thing going on there. So, but my dad, uh, actually, the company he was working with, he had some dealing with with uh, supplying uh, something for, for the TV company, which was MTV, which was owned by Lou Grade at that time. And so he provi he supplied them with something and got to know somebody there. And that's how I got my first uh, uh, introduction into actually visiting the set of The Muppet Show. Um, and uh, from there on afterwards, I just contacted this guy directly uh, at the studio and um, uh, sort of brought, literally bring cigarettes and chocolates um, that I guess he would bring back to his wife or whatever. Uh, he was an accountant there at ATV. And uh, that's how I got in. Uh, uh, sort of every other week, I'd go along on the on the guest star day, you know, when they were filming guest stars and stuff. And so they all got to know me there. Um, I think I later heard that the accountant was uh, went to prison for embezzlement, and oh, some wow. was shocked, shocked by that, knowing that I was getting in on bribes. But anyway, that's <laughs> there. I'm sure I I'm sure I didn't encourage that in any way. 
No, um, surely not. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I was a regular visitor, and they got to know me. And at the time, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, you know, all these puppeteers are all like six foot four and that kind of thing, and I'm like five, six, five, seven. Thought, well, I'm not tall enough to be a puppeteer, but maybe I, can, I can build puppets. So I, I, I focused a lot on on, on puppet making uh, in that last year and teaching myself uh, those techniques. And they got to know me in the workshop, the Muppet workshop as well. Um, so when I actually left school, they literally finished the final episode of Muppet Show and they had moved across the street to do the great Muppet caper. <clears throat> and in fact, they had a two-pick deal with Lou Grade, which was back-to-back -back with the same crew, the great Muppet caper and then the Dark Crystal. So uh, one of the uh, puppet builders, um, well, I, I got a, you know, basically got the job on the great Muppet caper as a, as a puppeteer. Uh, they tried me out for a week, essentially, and just kind of kept me on. But when uh, one of the puppet builders, um, who actually, I think he actually went to school or college with Jim Henson, uh, he was, um, he worked on Sam and Friends, which was sort of the, one of the very early Henson TV shows. Um, he, he'd gotten wind that I was puppeteering now on the movie, and he needed help uh, building podlings and slaves for the Dark Crystal. So I became sort of the main uh, constructor, I guess, of, of these puppets for the Dark Crystal. There were 50 of each, so 100 puppets. So basically in that first um, six, nine months, whatever it was, I would, when I wasn't puppeteering at Elstree on uh, the Great Muppet Caper, I'd be over at the Hampstead workshop uh, building the Dark Crystal, just going back and forth. Uh, it was a wonderful creative time. So that's sort of how it started, I it's guess. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Something you love, finding out that they're just down the road from Yeah. You. I can't get over that. And then stars no really alive. Getting yourself in there. That is, oh man, that's such a good yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, uh, you know, I was driven and I was obsessed and mm -hmm. I worked really hard of course. at, um, you know, making sure it, it would happen and, and that I would have the, the, as much information as, as I. I think, I think people like Jim Hansen and Frank Oz, I think they could could see potential in people and, and possibilities. Um, Jim had that knack. He, you know, he was able to to, to see what what had inside them and was willing to give them a chance. Um, and so he did it with me, I guess. I, you know, it, it was someone else that may not have happened. But uh, so so they kind of mentored me once I, once I got on board. You know, I made a lot of mistakes uh, during. My initial filming, of course, but that's how you learn. So, sure, and sure. Jim was okay with that. So it was yes, I was just, I mean, an amazing coincidence of of timings and and location and all kinds. But but I did work hard to to you know always persistent as you say uh, in making sure that I was in front of them as as often as possible. Sure. And, I, and what I heard years late, in fact, fairly recently, I finally heard that. At some point, Jim had said, "Oh my goodness, this this kid's around the whole time. Why don't we just give him a job?" <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I guess he took awesome. pity on me, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you said you said you worked pretty hard, and I imagine you'd have to yeah. in order to keep up with uh, these people who are already doing the Muppets. And you know, watching yeah. a lot of uh, you know over the years, watching these Muppets come to life, and then sometimes you see pictures of. You know the puppeteers, you know, like yourself, who are bringing them to life, all contorted out of oh. screen, you know, to make yeah. this thing look natural. And it's just, it's amazing to me. You know, people say that voice acting, and not to say it isn't, but you know, voice acting, for instance, is a hard medium of acting because you yeah. have 
to get all this, uh, you know, the emotion and feeling just through your voice. You don't have your body yeah. to help you. And I would think a puppeteer probably has it even worse. You have to get all that emotion, you know, through just your hand to while you're, yeah, you know, in a pretzel the on the floor. You know? Not only that, yeah. but the stamina yeah, sometimes, to do sometimes in, in Sometimes crawling around on the floor, sometimes being uh, sandblasted by sand on a beach on a windy down location, sometimes being at sea. Uh, in a boat. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy things that you have to do while maintaining a performance. Um, in a way, yeah, what you say is true. But on the other hand, when you're working a puppet, it, it, there's something very simplistic and pure. Uh, you know, if you can cut through the noise and the mess um, and you just find out those, just just what you need to do, you know, nothing more, nothing less. And there's, there's kind of a almost a simplicity and a purity about it. It's kind of like, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like three-dimensional living cartoons, really, I suppose. And so um, when you think of it in those terms, you know, cartoons are very, very much, a, you know, like a, like a classic Disney or classic Warner Brothers cartoon. Everything's very, very clean, you know. The, you, you hit poses and the look, you know, and you, you sort of have this rapid bar of techniques that you can use. Once you have that stuff... Um, then you, you don't have to think about the technicalities anymore. Um, you know, you put the pain out of your mind, you kind of get used to that, like, oh, wow, wow, this is hurting or whatever. You forget about that. <laughs> you can recover later, you know, as they say, pain is temporary. So, and, and film is forever. But once you have those techniques down, you're not thinking about that anymore. Just the same as, as an actor would. Uh, they're not, they're, a good actor should not be thinking technique and, and uh, the, the reading of the lines and that kind of thing. They should just be performing. You know, it's like being a musician. If you're playing at the Philharmonic, uh, you, you don't need to be worrying about the instrument where your fingers are on the violin or whatever. You know, you're just thinking about feeling and playing music. So that's sort of where you want to get to as a puppeteer, really. So you can just enjoy the performance. And uh, when that happens, that's when the magic happens. That's when the fun happens. You know, we're often uh, just cracking each other up, crying with laughter sometimes because we're just having so much fun with these sure. these characters. You know, what a what a great thing! What a great life that would be. I, I can't imagine <laughs> how much fun. Now, were there any were there any of the Muppets that were uh, a lot harder to operate or bring to life than any of the other ones? Was there one that just was like, oh man, not Fozzie, anything but Fozzie? <laughs> was there any Muppet like that? <laughs> Uh, usually it's the big ones, like the big giant monsters and costumes and stuff. Like uh, I've really done any of the Muppet costume guys, like Sweetums or Thog, Dog Lion. You know, those everyone wore a big old sweat in those, and uh, you know you need wranglers to help you. Uh, and they often they're a bit blind in there as well. So the, I think those are the hard ones. And any of the large giant hand puppet monsters, uh, that you know, that some of them might be a bit heavier or just just you can't maneuver around them as well. Um, for the most part, though, I, I'd say, you know, they're all, they're all built with a performer in mind and they're all mostly very flexible and lightweight. Uh, so each, each puppet has its unique assets and, and issues, I would say, you know, depending on materials and, and that kind of thing. Um, some are, are, are bigger, you know, you have to get the longer, you have to get your head out of the way. Um, but for the most part, you know, they're, they're just... They're these personalities that you just kind of plug into. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like the rats, if you're at a bad angle, they can be kind of difficult to do because they're so small. You need a lot of precise control, especially in a close-up. Right. Anything that's on, you know, lever or whatever, you know, is a little harder. 
Um, so I'd say maybe the extreme extremities, the, the really small ones, big ones are probably harder. But every once in a while, I've had to double for, for you know the principles, um, and that, that's you, you kind of feel an extra burden and responsibility because they have to. You have if your hands in, in wrong inside there, then the puppet looks wrong. Like for Miss Pig, she she's so specific. Uh, you know, if you if you're too aggressive with her, she looks too masculine. If your hands the wrong shape, it makes her mouth the wrong shape, and you got to get the the timing right on there and the softness and with Kermit if your hand isn't inside his his head right his head looks wrong uh, you know and everything if you can't be too flicky everything has to be very graceful so you sort of have to honor the techniques of the way the puppeteer is holding their hand inside those heads quite often uh, so yeah and the, the, just the cadence the time every puppeteer has their own natural rhythms you know mine tends to be a little faster uh, sometimes but often I'll have to pull that back and, and try and plug into what their timings are of that, of that puppeteer and that character. Um, so I think those are the tricky things, matching, being faithful to, to an, you know, an existing main character. That's, that's, that's uh, probably the hardest thing, I think, for me. One of the things I, I love about puppetry and, and voice acting and stage acting, everything we seem to discuss on this show, there are a hundred thousand little specificities mm-hmm. that make <laughs> yeah. things great. Yeah. And together, you can't really identify any one of yeah. them as a viewer, but you take away one and the whole thing topples. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible, yeah. the dedication. Yeah, you're right. It is to, to quantify and qualify that stuff sometimes. But but yeah, you're right. If it's not there, you know it's not there. Something's missing. Uh yeah, it's, it's, it becomes an organic thing, though, which is why it's hard to pinpoint that stuff. And that's, that's you know, when you can get to that point, then you're, you're in business. Uh, you're right, it's the same with voice acting, uh, you know, singing, uh, stage acting or whatever. Absolutely. One thing I had seen is that uh, there was a Dr. Teeth in Electric Mayhem live show. Is this correct? Yeah, it was about a year and what, just, just a little bit than a year and a half ago, I think, in San Francisco, outside lands. I and it was a sell my car to a seriously that. like seriously I had no I think idea. some people I, I think Dr. Teeth actually sold his van to be there um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah you know it's amazing we had a we had 25 minutes we were the warm up act for third eye blind and it was we were all terrified you know it was kind of an experiment we didn't know uh, really what we were can we you know can we all hold these puppets up for this long and Will the audience care? Because it's kind of a younger crowd there at Outside Lands. Yeah, we just—it was a new thing. I know it's something that Jim Henson had always been interested in doing live shows with with characters and puppets. But so we just kind of went for it. We had about three days rehearsal, I think, and um, and it was just—I mean, the crowd responded. So I don't know if it was like sixty-five thousand people. It was something insane like that, and uh, the crowd went wild. They were singing along with the songs. And they were, you know, they were chanting for, for more at the end of it, which, of course, A, we didn't have more, and B, we have a, an allotted amount of time anyway. <laughs> you know, we have to get off so the third eye blind could come on. But it was amazing. Um, it was, it was, we were, I think most of us were pretty well in tears by the end of it. <laughs> so it was just an, such an emotional thing. And then that led to us doing the Hollywood Bowl uh, this year. Uh, well, last year, uh, yeah. When was that? Wow, September or something? Yeah, we had three live shows, two hour, three two-hour shows um, at the Hollywood Bowl with the LA Philharmonic uh, behind us. Um, oh, wow! 
You've uh, got to be able was... to do like push ups for days, <laughs> being holding those puppets up. No, we're all out of shape. That's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we, we, we get out of breath, we sweat, and we recover. Your body learns how to be efficient. You know, it's like if you had to walk yourself, if you had to go walking for two hours, you could still do it, right? Or an hour. You can still walk. It's, your body knows what to do to walk without, you know, causing you a lot of pain usually, unless there's something going on with you. So, and yeah. it, you want to get to that stage with your performing to, to where your, your body has learned to be more efficient um, so it doesn't hurt you, so you can, yeah, do just a better job. So a lot of that's right. muscle memory and, again, technique. So, um, But that was amazing. I mean, wow, that was incredible. It would have been and now I think they're the trying audience. to – yeah, I mean, and it was great because the audience were like, um, was full of uh, edges, you know, uh, mm-hmm. right across. They still seemed to know the songs and the characters, and they were singing along and laughing in all the places. So it was very gratifying. And I think they're trying to now see a way to possibly do a touring version of that. Oh, well, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I'll be there. Would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they'd probably have to simplify it because we couldn't have a ninety whatever piece orchestra behind us i'm sure, sure. on tour and, but you know and we had 25 puppeteers um and uh, we had uh, bobby moynihan was the uh was the human guest star um from <laughs> saturday night live and and the uh, tv show that he's got at the moment so yeah he was lovely too um I can't but it was fantastic seeing the lights go down in, in a venue and seeing a spotlight hit that drum set and animal, animal really come coming on. out. Like, I would lose <laughs> yeah, yeah. myself. Yeah, all that. <laughs> we did the opening theme, you know, just as you would see on the TV show. Right. Uh, recreated all that. Uh, yeah, and puppeteers, you know, for a lot of the, unless like Pigs in Space and Dr. Bunsen's Lab and those things, we were behind little set pieces. But for a lot of the stuff, we were just in full view out front stage. Uh, so you could see us, but the cameras were trained on the puppets, you know, and after a few minutes, they kind of ignore the puppeteers and just look at the characters. And it worked. Well, hopefully we get to see that someday soon. That'd be awesome. I think so. Yeah, I think there's some, some people have put some uh, clips up on YouTube of it, too. If anyone's interested, you can oh, probably absolutely. search that stuff out. But it was, it was yeah, it was lovely. And then we had Paul Williams come on, on at the end and sing with Kermit on the log, you know, mm-hmm. sing some of his songs. <laughs> That's so, so freaking cool. I think that must it was, be like the truest test of a person's humanity is their appreciation for the Muppets yeah. specifically, but like puppetry in general. Right, right, How can right. Can you not smile in the audience <laughs> yeah. of something like that? Well, that's the thing. People were telling us that they were in the audience were crying, you know, um, which is just, I mean, what what better thing could you possibly want than than to have that that much of an effect on the audience, you oh, know. I would be among that number. There yeah. is no question. Yeah, no mm-hmm. doubt. Well, the thing is, we were we were the same way as performers. You know, we were we were fighting back emotions and tears as we were performing, and when we'd get a big reaction from an audience, a big laugh or whatever, or a big cheer, we'd sort of give each other little glances and like, Can you, "Did you hear that? Can you believe that?" You know, <laughs> while we're in the middle of performing. So, uh, but but yeah, the audience were in tears at various places as well. So. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, yeah, that's the the whole other side of Muppets is this whole live thing. Yeah. 
and I could sit here and talk Muppets with you that all day. Our, our <laughs> clock is a tick, and we need to get into some Star Wars here. Another Star and, Wars, yeah, another thing that you were a fan of, and then found yourself working on. I mean, you have. I cannot wait to read your book. It's going to be <laughs> right. Good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll probably release that after episode nine. I guess that would make sense. You know, I, I would I would say so. But yeah, that that would be the thing to do. Yeah, so I mean, with Star Wars, I, I you know I was a big fan of Empire Strikes Back, and of course that that falls into about a year or so just before um I you know I started with them. So so I was curious about Yoda specifically. I mean, I was I, I knew Star Wars, I was a fan of Star Wars, and I was looking forward to seeing Empire. But I'd seen these uh, pictures of Yoda, you know, I knew that it was Frank Oz and, and and the Muppet guys that had done that. So I was fascinated, like, how does this thing? It's not a Muppet. You know, how does it move? How do, what is what's going on here? Because it really was sort of the first proper uh, big animatronic uh, live action puppet on right. film, I think. Um, and it was certainly before E.T. and before, of course, The Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. So I was really obsessing with this thing. And I just loved Yoda in that movie. I just loved him. So so when I got the opportunity to work on Jedi uh, and because I'd already helped Frank uh, right hand for Frank for Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy and things. He just had said, "Oh yeah, I'll have Mike for Yoda." So that was a, a, a wonderful thing to help help him with that on on Return of the Jedi. Um, but yeah, that that, that was the, the uh, Return of the Jedi was the third was the third movie uh, I worked on, and that that came right in the same studio right after the Dark Crystal. So they just hired a bunch of us uh, creature performers and puppeteers. You know, we were already. Uh, uh, primed for them so i didn't have to audition or anything like that i just had a little interview with uh, robert watts in his office and you know 10 or 15 minutes and that was it okay great you got the job and that was it so i yeah uh, again you know weird timing and, and synchronicity i suppose but but it was such a great thing and then of course beginning uh, you know on, on this the uh, set of star wars uh, I think we started in January of 1982, Elstree. And uh, the first thing I remember them shooting was uh, 3PO arriving at, you know, outside Jabba's palace there and along the corridor um, and uh, watching them film that. And then we were rehearsing for... Uh, uh, we are on stage eight where Jabba's... Uh, the interior of Jabba's palace was built. Um, and Tim Rose and I were, were rehearsing... Um, Akbar and Snoodles together. Though we co co perform, you know, Tim was really the main performer in those guys. But there were two versions of Snoodles and of Akbar. So, uh, like in the full length version of Sai Snoodles, Tim was underneath working the feet and the hips, and then I was above on strings working the sort of upper body. And then for the close up of Snoodles, it was sort of a half body puppet, and Tim was inside working the main body movements and the base of her snout, and I was working her lips, singing lips on a cable control uh, for the close-up. <laughs> so, so the two of us worked together on that, and then they were just intercut, you know, the, the shots uh, wide and close. And then with Akbar, um, there was a full-length version that Tim was wearing, and then the mouth was on a cable control that I performed that ran down his leg. It was all very crude and basic. And then for the close-up, he worked it kind of like as a big hand puppet. And then uh, someone else did the hands, you know, reached around and did live hands. And then I worked the eyes, turns and blinks on cable controls. So that's sort of So we rehearsed all that stuff. And then, uh, yeah, our first shooting on Jedi was was Jabba's Palace. And uh, there was a... uh, I ended up doing a few things in there. Um, 
Reese, the, the hand puppet close-up for Reese, which had eye blinks in it. Paul Springer was in the wide shot uh, suited version. Mm. So we worked together coordinating that. And the same for when we were in the Jabba's Palace, we had a scene that was cut that we worked together on uh, with Reese having a fight about a drink or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the little slug above uh, Jabba's head, I was, that had the long tongue that was licking, I think, 3PO or something. I was working that <laughs> yeah. as well. I uh, did that. So, so yeah, it was, a, I mean, it was a really wonderful time because for me, it's like, okay, here we go. This is the final of the, of the you know, this huge trilogy. And I get to walk on set and walk into Jabba's palace and bump my head on those little chimes just like they do in the movie and and uh, mm. and see, you know, Han Solo come out of Carbonite and, like, what are these, what's going to happen, you know? Just walk around all the sets. I used to sneak off sometimes and go <laughs> on the... Uh, like, I remember getting lost on on uh, stage six in, on the Dagobah exterior there with all the, the swamp stuff that they'd built for that. And um, then they had things like uh, the shuttle. Um, you know, you could just walk on there and look around. So I was always investigating things, seeing what was going on. So yeah, I had a little look around on the Imperial shuttle. And <laughs> so I was 17 at that time. That is amazing. Can imagine? How could you not yeah. explore a setting like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, I was, and I was always the first to arrive and the last to leave. It's so so sad, really, but I just loved it. You know, I'm still that way. I haven't really changed. You know, I love being on set and I miss when it's, when it's done. So. Right. <laughs> and kind of uh, going back to what we were talking a little bit earlier about the physical demand of uh, puppetry, at least I was saying, it seems like it's pretty uh, natural, like riding a bike to you at this point. But uh, Nine Numb, the character that uh, you have brought from obscurity to the main light, and then to, <laughs> I could not believe that in Jedi, Return of the Jedi, that was a hand puppet. I would have sworn yeah, that was a the... person sitting there. Good. That's good. Well, you know, yeah, in the cockpit, it was definitely, a, a, you know, like, like a life-size hand puppet that only existed from the waist up. Um, uh, you know, it was helped by the fact that it was actually originally designed as a mask uh, to be worn on, on a head, you know. So it had those sort of proportions anyway. <clears throat> um, so it obviously was, you know, it could have been someone inside the head. And then after it was sent back um, uh, from... They added uh, eye blinks and ear wiggles and sort of fitted out the, the head uh, with mechanics and stuff. It came back um, uh, a lot heavier, and that weight uh, sort of, I think, gave it a bit more reality and, and, you know, it grounded it a bit more, grounded the performance. So it actually helped me a lot. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, But I was surprised that people – I guess that's a good thing that people think it's a guy in a costume. But the technology really was – that great at that time uh, on, on Return of the Jedi in terms of mechanics and things. So to get a you know to get a um, a mouth that, that responds that well in a, in an animatronic, you know now is is yeah see they can do it easily. But back then the the cables and things weren't quite up to the task. So it was better just to do it as a hand puppet, you know. Right. Well, you did a damn good job because <laughs> uh, for years I didn't know until we started researching this. Had no idea. I always thought it was well, a prosthetic lip. Well, the giveaway. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, that would have been a whole other build, though. That they would have had to done a live <laughs> cast of an actor and done a rebuild on the whole thing and make make up appliances. And they 
you know, they just didn't have the schedule or the budget or anything uh, for that. So kind of like, what's the easiest, cheapest, quickest way we can make this work? You know, he had dialogue, but the mask didn't have any movement in it at that time. So that's what I suggest. Look, let's just turn it into a hand puppet. And they, they loved it. So so that was, yeah, my fault, I guess. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the giveaway, uh, actually, it, when you watch Return of the Jedi, um, and you can see, I think it's probably, I assume it's after the Death Star blows up and they're all cheering. And then you see, you know, you see Nine Numb do his laugh his, and he's sort of nodding, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that. Um, and that's actually a Muppet nod. You know, when you watch Muppets, you know, they finish their singing and they're all nodding at each other. It's the same move. It's a, it's a stock move that I did. Um, and that's a giveaway that it's a hand puppet. That I guess so when cool. you when you come to a puppeteer with a problem, you get a puppet solution. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do. Exactly. That should be on a T-shirt. Yeah, I think it should. That should be on <laughs> a T-shirt. But yeah, it's up there, butts, and you know it was good because now it meant you could see his face properly instead of covering it up because his mouth doesn't work and things like right. that. That was one option they were looking at. Uh, so it's good. Yeah, and and it's nice that people, um, you know, kind of took. I always liked him. He always reminded me of. Of dopey a little bit from Snow White because they had the big ears, oh, and the big eyes. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was, you know, I was seventeen. I was kind of enthusiastic and young and happy-go-lucky, and I, I think some of that probably came through in his demeanor, you know, in the Falcon there. Like, uh, you know, it's everything is exciting, but it's just he he didn't really think that he was in any mortal danger because he was too young to understand that. I think so. He was happy to fly the Falcon through all that stuff and and uh, just go for it. And then later on, you know, in the new movies, um, he's a lot more serious, of course. He's a lot older, and I think he's been through a lot. And he understands the gravity of the situations that he's in now. So, we, you know, we are seeing a much more mature, serious uh, numb, I think, uh, in the new movies. Uh, what little we do see of him, anyway. Um, well, it's amazing to see him there. Anytime you see those old characters come back, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's nice because now I can look literally look through his eyes when they're not fogged up. I can look through his eyes and <laughs> see the world as he sees it. And I have legs now and I can run around uh, and fall over, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> which I couldn't do before. So it's actually really good. You know, I can pretend I'm a real actor and stuff. And like in The, in the Last Jedi, uh, we've we yeah. spelled, spent the best part of a day filming, um, running through the salt mines, escaping. And most of that stuff was cut, you know, it's all kind of vague and, and shortened and, and stuff. But we, I was literally, I think, right behind 3PO, and behind me was Rose on the stretcher being carried. And we were running through all these different tunnels, and it was pretty dark. And, but but I, I saw that some of, the, some of the rebel guys, they had, you know, they had some guns and blasters. So I, I went up to Ryan Johnson and said, uh, can I have a big blaster, please? <laughs> I always wanted one. Always, the toys have one, and the, the games he's got, that stuff. It's like, I need a big blaster, please, please, please. So, yeah, I don't see why not. So they gave me a nice big old blaster, and I got to run around pretending I was an action hero, which was very exciting. So maybe there'll be some footage or some stills that might show up with that on there, but but uh, at least I got my, my moment of, of being an action hero. But it's just not seen in the final thing at the moment. But, hey, there's episode nine. Yes, no. which we're always uh, always excited to see another Star Wars film come out. And uh, Last oh, Jedi has been a heck of a lot of fun for us, I imagine, as it has Good. been for you. But one thing I did want to ask you really quick as we're getting pressed for time before we let oh, you boy. go. But That's all right. 
very curious about Yoda in that movie. Juan, did you have anything to do with him, or do you have any idea how it was done? Because we've debated whether it was CG or if it oh, was no, puppet it's all, or all, both. Or... No, it's all puppet, just like the original in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, built by uh, uh, Neil Scanlon's uh, shop. Um, I'm, I'm suspecting he was re-sculpted because the, the mold, original molds probably were long, you know, ancient and decrepit. But, mm-hmm. but um, it was all, all uh, exactly the same as the original puppet, all foam, hand puppet, animatronic eyes, uh, you know, same, same stuff, Frank's hand up inside there. Um, so he was all puppet and all performed by Frank um, the way he did it originally. Um, Frank and I did speak... Uh, Last was it? Yeah, last last year. <laughs> um, but I was yeah I was in the states when they were they were going to do that. I can't remember if I was doing Muppets or something else. So so I wasn't you know I'd, I keep going back to the UK for my own scenes basically. Um, I so I didn't get to, to the joy of re- revisiting uh, Yoda again. And this time, unfortunately, that would have been a, a great thing, but it wasn't practical. So I think some of my mates uh, ended up performing on that and helping him with that. So, but it was nice seeing Frank again at the premiere after after many years. You know, sure. we had a, we had a great catch up. It was really nice. So, and I'm glad that you uh, you settled that for us. I, I we were so on the fence, like I can't tell. I mean, I think it's <laughs> it just because rough. of that ghostly that probably that was hung around yeah. him that kind of yeah. threw it off. Because once that goes but, away, you're like, oh, you okay, That's a puppet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he was all he was all puppet. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I don't doubt that there was some, you know. There's some matting going on behind him, I suspect, but you know, green screen, blue screen, or whatever they need for him. But anyway, um, <laughs> there might have been some of that there. But but yeah, it was all it was all real puppet. Um, and yeah, when you when you sort of know, you can you can kind of tell CG generally is almost too perfect and uh, you know too smooth. And I don't know the the, the the sort of jiggles and mistakes in live action hand puppetry that. That are just real. That are so hard to capture in, in animation. Right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it was it was it was a, a revisit to the old school, which was so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it being it's a fantastic. blast. Now, now, was this in the same kind of vein as Return of the Jedi, where you were doing other <coughs> uh, like other characters we may have seen on screen as well, or did you just no? Yeah, I just them, yeah, I just kept to uh, in both movies really. I mean, with. Um, with uh, the Force Awakens, uh, again, I was coming back and forth quite a lot from the states to the UK, mm-hmm. and often when they were rehearsing um, uh, the the other creature scenes, you know, I'd be I'd be busy with Nine Numb, so so there was too much sort of overlap for me to get involved in in too much of the other characters with you know in Maz's place and and uh, the same really for for this for this movie. Uh, so I just I literally just came over and only performed uh, Nine Numb in in both movies. Um, but with that said, I you know I probably I think I'd really like to do a little bit more on the, on the next one if they had stuff going, uh, you know perhaps spend more time in the UK and, and get involved in some more stuff. But who knows? Maybe Nine will be busier too on, on the film, seeing as everyone's dead. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I, not I, a spoiler, is it? <laughs> I got a no. feeling we're going to see him in that in that last. Hopefully one. so. Yeah, they can they can give me some some drama and some action and. Uh, 
a couple of comedy scenes with Chewie would be quite nice. And, yeah, then we'll be all happy, I think. Then we see Billy <laughs> so, D. Williams come back and you guys take the pipe, the, the falcon up. Yeah, like yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it would be kind of neat. Or we run into each other in a bar, you know. There you go. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I hope so. I, I really have no I mean, they're writing it at the moment is what I'm hearing. You know, they're working on the script now. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure the outline's kind of been done, but... But, uh, yeah, the, the, it's being written so, so as we speak. Um, so who knows? Uh, but I would like to see him back again, uh, definitely, as would everyone else. So maybe the, that'll be a nice treat for us or a surprise. I hope they can do it. If, if not, I understand why. Because, I mean, right now I know they've been very specific in serving the story and not being too too distracting with with the, the storylines and too many characters and that kind of thing. But so you know, I, I kind of appreciate the decisions they have made, and I understand totally why they needed to focus on more on the newer characters. You know, moving forward, that 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 all makes sense. But with that said, yeah, it would be so sweet and cool just to to for him to have his his moment in uh, in, in episode nine. You know, I. In my, I mean, my my personal wish is that he actually caught or found a very a near dying Han and rescued him and patched him up and we'll bring him back in episode <laughs> nine. But uh, yeah, that's just me. I want to see him live. I don't want to see him die. Yeah. On him, I want to see him patched up. Uh, you know, yeah, the they end. were really trying to just finalize that. Stab him through, <laughs> drop him down an endless yeah. pit. Blow the planet, the pits on up. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They, I think it was the same cannon that Darth Maul was cut in half, and that dude came back somehow. Right. So mm-hmm. it's You've not be impossible. Sure. Anything less than three methods, and you're right. rolling the dice. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we didn't actually see what happened to him. You see, that's that's mm-hmm. what I'm holding on to. He could have, you know, gone down a chute, you know, just like Luke did, and hang off the end of an antenna somewhere, and and Lando come by and grab him. There you go. <laughs> It's not impossible. That's my. That is my wish. It works for me. <laughs> I'll wish on a star for you. I hope that happens. <laughs> now I did uh, see that you got to share a, a few scenes uh, with Carrie Fisher there uh, in, the, yeah. in the Rebel Room. There. Do you have any memories or any stories or just anything from working with her? Yeah, yeah. In, in both movies, in fact, because I'm I'm there, you know, with her in that scene in the Falcon too. Right. Um. Uh. I mean, yeah, when you're actually on set itself, I mean, we, you know, we would, we'd be outside the soundstage hanging out in the golf carts and, you know, there'd be Gary and stuff like that. But, but for the most part, I mean, like, for example, in that, in that uh, uh, resistance uh, room there in The Force Awakens, you know, all the main characters are pretty well all standing around there, plus, you know, 100 extras and, and five cameras, and it's, it's kind of a pretty intense set. So everyone just kind of focuses and gets down to business. Um, so even though I was next to her and, you know, my head would come off in between setups and she'd sit on a box, you know, she'd be sort of trying to rest and look at her lines uh, so that she kind of had those in her head for, for the next bit. So you sort of have, you know, we'd smile at each other and stuff like that and she'd have this funny look in her eye like, who is this guy standing next to me? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't, I, you don't, you don't really bother each other because because everyone's so focused and concentrating also you don't want to raise the noise you know when when a few people start talking the noise level rises and the crew can't work and set up lights and all that kind of thing so you generally stay really kind of in this hyper focused moment on set you know the adrenaline's up um everyone's just really concentrating and and there's just 
this whole energy just going towards getting getting the shot done. So uh, you don't really sort of in something in a, a, shot, a setup like that, a scene like that, you don't really horse around too much because there's just so much that can go horribly wrong. Essentially, Absolutely. you know, it's a 360 degree set. So um, with you know cameras all over the place and lots of setups, and it's uh, it was nice though because I just I just enjoyed taking stock, looking around the room, and it's like oh there's there's three PO and oh there's Han over there and you know hi Chewie and mm-hmm. and all the new guys as well who were wonderful by the way of course so the new actors sure um, uh, and it was just really really it was nice coming in as a, a legacy character because they had that recognition. Oh, I remember that guy. And then when I, I told them that it was me that actually performed him in the original, they're like, oh, it was you as well? They, I guess they assumed it was someone else that had taken over. So so uh, people like John Boyega, you know, he plays Nine Numb in Battlefront, so he was excited to have scenes with Nine Numb. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's great, though, you know, and, and Oscar, always get a nice hug from Oscar. Really sweet people. But, I mean, with, as far as Carrie goes uh, specifically, um, I do recall that, that there was, they were doing a close-up on her, and I think I must have been maybe, you know, what they call dirtying the shot, where just the edge of Nine Numb sort of creeps into the shot a bit, you know, on the right. edge. Um, but the, the servo motors of, of his face were being picked up on her, her, her audio, her sound, so they had to literally just switch off my face <laughs> so that it wouldn't interfere with her dialogue. Just like, well, I'll just uh, wide open. <laughs> yeah, well, which is good because I need the air. That's the only way I can get oxygen in there. So when it's closed, I'm sealed up. But uh, so that yeah, I mean that that sort of thing happens a little bit. And also, you know, I have to be really careful because I've got this big giant head on, and I don't know where the cameras are and you know how close I am uh, to 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 the other characters and that kind of thing. So I really had to sort of bring, I just made the decision to bring my performance way down, keep it super realistic, very clean, very specific head moves, very specific choices, because I didn't know what was going to be seen. And, you know, when you've got someone like Carrie, right, literally two feet away from you, you know, you can't have this giant carnival head flailing around it would it just would be too distracting so so you know yeah knowing knowing uh the environment and, and that you're in and, and the the performers that are next to you being aware of that stuff is really important sure. and not taken away from from you know their their moments as well uh you know carrie's reactions and that kind of thing are really important and if i'm jiggling around a lot you know, I'm sure I would have been told pretty quickly, can you not move, please? You know, <laughs> so, right, sure, uh, sure. so, but I didn't, in both movies, no one ever really had to tell me, give me any direction as such. So I, I figured that was a good thing, you know, Yeah, I uh, say as so. long as I, they're leaving me alone, then I guess I must be okay. So <laughs> very cool. It's fun. It really is. I, I, I do enjoy it and I, I do miss it. And I, and I, I, you know, I can't wait to, to just be around those guys again and, and see what we get up to next. I mean, flying the X-Wing was, uh, was I actually got kind of nervous, a bit anxious about that um, because, you know, they had, I don't know if you've seen any of the footage or any pictures, but, oh, but yeah. for the, uh, the daylight stuff was actually shot on the back lot at Pinewood and they had it up on, on a big, um, uh, you know, bucking Bronco uh, gimbal. It was the same one they used for the Falcon cockpit. Uh, I think there's footage of Daisy climbing up the stairs to it. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was the same gimbal, and only they put the X-Wing cockpit on there. And we went through all the all the uh, X-Wing pilots one by one, and I was like the last one at the end of the day to get in there. 
And so <laughs> by the end of the day, it's like, am I going to, what's it going to be like being thrown around in this thing? Because literally, you know, they, they literally strapped me in. There were two cameras uh, bolted to the, uh, to the X-Wing, a front one and a side one. And they were remote controlled. And they would, you know, literally lock, lock you in. Uh, they'd pull the stairs away. The, the actual uh, gimbal was in a, a, a fenced area with like a 20-foot perimeter uh, with emergency stop buttons outside the, each edge of the fence. So you were literally on your own. You know, that thing could have just taken off or fallen over. I guess it was a big safety issue. But, but I was like, what's it, what's it going to be like being inside this thing? Well, I can't really see that well. You know, I don't know what's going on out there. Um, and I've got this mask on. Am I going to get motion sick in this thing? You know, and oh, I can't yeah. really afford to throw up inside this guy. So I was anxious. I mean, I was excited and stuff, but it's like, what's kind of, you know, am I going to be okay? Uh, you know, so, so anyway, we got through it. And I, I think just the, it was great. It was like a really, it was a real rush. Uh, you know, there's a guy controlling the, the, the rolling and the pitch and yaw and everything of, of the cockpit itself. Uh, from a remote little station, and it was all it was all live live controlled, you know. Wow. And it was a real rush. It was a real blast. I had no idea really what was going on, other than just uh, again trying to stay focused and go with the moment. And I think at one point the joystick came off in my hand, and I had to kind of <laughs> fix it back down. And but it was a real rush, and maybe the adrenaline. I don't know, but I, yeah, I didn't have motion sickness or anything. It was great fun. It was so cool. <laughs> wow. One of those things that we'll read about in that book. Yeah. I can't and then the other thing about the cockpit, uh, just to, just to, uh, for an extra bit of information, is before before we um, uh, went in there, uh, they gave us uh, there was an actual large uh, schematic of the cockpit of what each button and switch actually did for real, and they had a, a, like a sequence that we had to learn. It was never used, really? but, but yeah, there's actually a startup sequence. You know, you press you press this button, you flip this switch down here, this one up here does the lights, this one starts the engines, these are the torpedoes, you got double sets for over here and over here, this one is the... And the, everything actually, there was a sequence that we had to learn, and everything actually did something. It was amazing. That's, that's to nuts. keep up with the screen continuity for your hardcore uh, <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. But, but I mean, who knew, right? Who knew? So I, that I, was, I surely didn't. I would kill to yeah. get my hands on one of those schematics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. It was lovely. It was wonderful. Yeah. How oh, cool. So there you go. Well, this has <laughs> been an absolute treat, Mike. Um, one thing before we yeah. go, though, I want to uh, just let our listeners know, QuinZoneStudios.com is uh, probably the place to go to check you out, correct? Well, not really. I mean, I haven't touched that thing in about eight years, so maybe oh, really? not. Scratch, <laughs> wow, scratch okay, that. never I mean, mind. I mean, you can go there, but you'll see all this old stuff. I mean, that's fine and all, but I just really haven't updated it. So, you know, I, I sort of... To be more current, you're almost better off on my Facebook page, uh, Mike Quinn, and uh, and my other main thing is uh, secretsofpuppetry.com, which I'm sort of evolving at the moment. It's my uh, puppetry online academy uh, that I'm uh, developing right now and accepting from time to time some early adopters uh, into it as well. So when people are really keen, I'm letting them in in early. But I'm I'm about 75% through the core training on that at the moment. And then there'll be a bunch of extra things as well that will sort of support that core training and support, uh, you know, budding puppeteers in their career. So it's, it's really supposed to be the first thing 
to this extent uh, online ever in the world, I think, that focuses specifically on hand puppetry for film and television. So, uh, and it's all legacy stuff from, from what Jim Henson and Frank Oz and those guys had taught me, what I've learned in the 36 plus years of doing this, but also directly from workshops that they taught during things like The Dark Crystal for us all. So it's, it's sort of a way to, to, to continue that legacy, really. Wow, train with a master. That's yes. Seriously. That Secretsofpuppetry.com. And we'll put a link to that on our website as oh, well. Oh, we'll thank you so much. There. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Now, so, is there, yeah, it's good stuff. Before we cut you loose, one thing I like to ask everybody uh, that we have on the show, for anyone who might be you know, considering getting into film or puppetry or any, anything in, the, in show business, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, yeah. Uh, don't let other people tell you you can't do it. Um, I mean, if you, have, if you have the will and the passion and the drive, I mean, I think... It is one of those things that is is very obscure and very very unique, and and it's not the easiest thing to do or to get into. But so I would say, make sure you really want to do it before you start. But um, once once you've made that decision in your mind, this is I'm obsessed. This is my life. This this is my career. I don't want to do anything else. This is it. Then then you just have to put everything aside, and every decision that you make needs to go towards getting you there. And and, you know, persistence in the nicest possible way is, is an asset. It's not a bad thing. Um, don't give up too soon. Sometimes people just, you know, they're, they're their own worst enemies. They, they just quit too early. You know, if it's something that you really, really uh, want to do and, and you're really passionate about, then there shouldn't be anything that would ever stop you from doing that, whether it's geography or, or physicality or anything um, there, are, there are always ways through and round, round that, and I think it's better now because the world is a smaller place. You know, when I started, there were no, there was nowhere to learn puppetry of this kind ever, anywhere. And you know, I just self-teach and then learn on the job. Um, and there was no internet. You know, uh, so it's different now. Now people can literally make their own show and put it up online and, and make even make some money from it. Mm -hmm. So. So there are no excuses, basically. Uh, you know, hook up with the right people, get mentors, um, invest in your own uh, uh, education on this. Uh, but but just do it. Just keep doing it, doing it. And there's plenty of room for new people, new blood in this in this business. And in fact, we need that. Uh, so so never be put off. Uh, don't be self-defeating and don't take no for an answer. Just if, if you want it badly enough, you will do well. You, you know, you will, you'll become a, a good, successful puppeteer in this business. I've watched people in the last few years do exactly that, and they're in good places now, and they deserve to be because they've, they've done exactly what I've, I've been talking about here. So, so yeah, do it. It's amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today, man. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there it is, our interview with Mike Quinn, puppeteer extraordinaire. Indeed. I mean, what a cool guy he yeah. was, and what an amazing uh, career he has uh, worked so hard on building. I mean... And no one could accuse him of underachieving. Uh, no, yeah. I would say not. But uh, for our listeners at home, to check out more uh, on Mike Quinn, uh, just head to Google one. I mean, he's, he's on sure. IMDb. <laughs> There's also a bodybuilder out there by Mike Quinn. I was going to say, it might be a little hard to find. So type in Mike Quinn Star Wars. There you go. That'll solve, or puppetry. <laughs> That'll take care of it right there. Yeah. But also head over to secretsofpuppetry.com. I'm going to have to look into this. I feel stupid I didn't even uh, know about it uh, 
you know, before doing this interview, but it sounds really cool if you're interested in getting into puppetry and seeing, uh, you know, how they do it, how it's done. This is the class for you or the mm. course for you. I'm, I'm very curious. What Learn from a master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. He had his hand in Kermit the Frog. <laughs> come on. Hard to deny. It really is hard to deny. He was Yoda's right hand and Fozzie, <laughs> literally. But we really enjoyed this interview and hope you did too. And uh, we want to know what you think. So uh, let us know on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, email, whatever forces may be. Send us a pigeon. There you go. There you go. By carrier pigeon. That's a preferred method for contact around here sometimes. Hopefully it'll make it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, it's a little cold. We'll play that game. We'll we'll try it. Roll the dice. First carrier pigeon to arrive at our doorstep alive wins a free t-shirt. There's a lot of cats out there, so there you are. All right, Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you see show highlights, guest info, list of the show. Follow us on all our social media. Visit the Hall of Heroes to see the Wall of Justice. Check out some of the new videos on our YouTube page. And click on that merch button, buy a t-shirt and some other stuff. Visit the Patreon page. Mm-hmm. Our special guest page. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. We're just getting a lot of stuff. Jeez. Yeah, we are. we got a lot of stuff <laughs> happening, don't we? Indeed. And once more on Twitter, that is at CannedAirPod. And our Instagram is at Canned underscore Air. Subscribe. Follow back. Retweet. We've got jokes and fun images on the daily. That we do, Jake. That we do. And uh, for people who are heading over to our Patreon page, uh, we are going to be putting up this week our second Patreon-exclusive pod. So uh, if you want to know what's going on there, you gotta, you got to be a backer to find out. Uh, in this pod, we're going to be looking back over 2017, probably, I would say primarily box office. I don't know. We yeah. can look at anything, though. Some a year in stuff. review. A year in review for our Patreon pod. Uh, I always have fun with these when we do them, so oh, yeah. uh, I'm excited to do that. But uh, anyway, I think that's going to do it for this week. Another big thanks to Mike Quinn. And uh, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. Jack Doherty. Jake Runyon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, no, the house is on fire. I need to get help. Do it from outside. Blowtorch! Whenever there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe! History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. 
Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.